The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company. Handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com. Welcome to The Howler. Your weekly look into the state of Wolfpack Athletics. Now let's go to your hosts, Drew Blevins and Nick Sinopoli. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Howler. I'll be your host, Nick Sinopoli. We've got a great show, Ethan. You know, it's a great show of my co-host right next to us, Ethan Barry. Uh, but before we jump into news on men's golf softball, baseball, and of course that awesome spring game, Ethan. I know you're incredibly excited to see the pack get back on the football field, right? Yeah, definitely. You know, we'll see what the new look pack looks like heading into the fall. Yeah, but before we jump into all that lovely analysis we like to get into, Drew met up with the head coach of the men's varsity golf team, Richard Sykes. He's been in the business for 46 years. And next up on the Howler, we are joined by an NC State legend, himself the head coach of the nc state men's golf team richard sykes coach thanks so very much for joining us i'm glad to be with you you use that word legend kind of generously don't you well i tell you what when you've had such a long and illustrious career as yourself and all of it so far here at nc state university for me personally i do consider you a coaching legend at the university and thank you so very much for being here with us i'm glad glad to be with you so you've had such a long career in the game of golf. What was it that initially got you interested in the sport? Gosh, I started playing golf as a child, about six years old. And I've been playing all my life. And when I was in high school, they didn't even have golf teams. So, I, But I played it. Nobody else in my school played it. And I, I had a little success early, so I just kept staying with it. And I got to NC State. I I tried to run track, hurt my knees trying to play freshman football, and they say, you know, I gravitated to the golf team, and I've been with it ever since. You're an NC State graduate from class of 1968, and then yep. you're right back into the golf program and just haven't left. What What is it about this university that has kept you so close to holding ties with NC State? Gosh, no, this university is special to me. My father went to school here. Uh, I went to school here. I uh, live in a town close by here. I attended all their ball games growing up. I just got a bit of NC State golf air. <laughs> when you look over the course of your 46-year career, are there any specific memories, any specific people that stand out to you as being particularly impactful? Mm, gosh, no, I, I could name so many. I'd hate to even name one. I uh, appreciate Mr. Willis Casey giving me an opportunity and the parameters, so I thought it was great. When you look at the game of golf over your career at NC State, can you talk about some of the innovations that you have seen in the game and how it's changed over the course of the years you've been here? Well, you know, everybody wants to go back to equipment, uh, saying that the ball goes further and the clubs make the ball go further, which all that's true. But they, they neglect the fact that they've got in all this weight training and nutrition, and the guys are much more. There's many more athletes playing the game. It used to be all short, fat guys like me playing. And now there are a lot of great athletes playing in games who are strong, and you put that with the equipment, the ball does go further. So I think the evolution of the player has gotten bigger, stronger, had better instruction, all that stuff has probably led to lower scores. I'm reading this story that Carl Peterson relayed to Triangle Golf about him being about 80 foot below the hole on a three-tier green, and you walking up to him and saying, don't worry about it. Nobody has two putted here all day. Just three putt and get it over with. What is it? <laughs> what is it about your sense of humor that seems to be so renowned? What is it about your sense of humor that allows you to be a successful golf coach? I just think it's still a game, and if you get too serious about it, it's a hard game. You know, the definition of this game is it's a simple game that's hard to play, and that uh, if you can relax while you're playing, I think you still have a better chance. So. I try to keep it like a game. I want it to be fun. How important, and I really, how important is it to keep that mindset and to keep players' minds fresh? I think it's very important, to be honest with you. Sometimes it's hard to do. It's just some, some guys get so serious and so tied up, they can't get out of their own way. 23 NCAA regional appearances, 12 appearances in the NCAA championships, the 1980 ACC championship. Out of all of those accomplishments, though, 
how much of it is the people that surround you as well as your individual ability as a coach? Oh, I think it's all, it's all the players. And it's all the players on how they mold together and pull for each other. You know, it's a lonely sport out there. You're right by yourself, and, and your score counts, but uh, you can't you can't make a great pass to somebody else or make a nice block. You just have to do your game. And it's all been players. They do a good job at it, and sometimes they let it get away from them. They look back later and say, you know, I should have done this different. Well, if they look back at it, then all of a sudden they start to get better. And when you look at college golf especially, the way it's organized, you have your individual scores, and it is you in the course and your 14 clubs, but there's also your teammates. There's also a golf team and a team score as well. When you look at having to coach both individuals and a team as a whole, what is that like for you as a golf coach? Well, probably my, my leaning is to the team more than anything else. You know, If you perform well enough to help the team, you're probably going to have a good individual finish. And sometimes you really have to sacrifice your individual goals to help the team maybe not try a shot that you'd like to try or maybe a putt that you'd like to charge. Maybe, you know, just push up and save a stroke for the team, that kind of stuff. And it's uh, as long as you do team and the guys think about what's going on and that, they, that other four guys are pulling for them and you're just part of that number one final number, it's pretty easy. It's much, it's much easier to do team-wise. Now, when you look back on your career as a golf coach, even years down the road, do you ever see yourself stepping away from the game completely, or this is just going from making this a profession to being able to enjoy it as a game in its purest form? Oh, I can't wait to stop back playing myself. <laughs> I don't take much time to play. You know, and I, I look forward, you know, we're here where we are located. There's so many tournaments around the areas in North Carolina, and North Carolina, Duke, NC State, we all have tournaments. So, I miss the players, obviously, but the players keep changing, so you don't get so used to them because you got new ones coming in all the time. Uh, I'll miss probably my relationships with other coaches and the people that run the tournaments and stuff, and, and I hope to go from time to time back and watch them and, and keep up with them. Now, when it comes to rivalries, and you talk about the local schools in the area, in a game like college golf, are those rivalries still very, very present? Well, there are, but they're not as... Uh, you don't notice it quite as much. I mean, these kids all grew up together, all playing golf against each other and with each other. And they're all friends. And, and look, my guys and the Carolina guys and Duke guys sometimes just get together and go play golf. So it's it's not a, a bitter rivalry must be then. We must play the best we can to see how it adds up. Now, you're in a golfing family as well. Your son David works at the Heritage Course back in Wake Forest. What is it like generationally? passing golf down because you've been able to see a few generations come through and be able to enjoy this great game. Uh, it's just, it's, it's kind of special. It's one, it's a great sport that uh, a parent and a child can share together. And, uh, you know, it's hard, you know, when you're uh, an ex-football player and you're a great football player, you can't get out there and play football with your kids very long. But you can go out and play with your kids, play golf as long as you, as long as you can play. So, it's much easier to keep up what they're doing and be with them and spend a lot of great time with, you, with your family. And how special is it that you have made a living out of a sport that is so enduring and so lifelong, especially for somebody like you who's been playing from a young age and is now it, it, has no foreseeable end? It's kind of special to uh, take the thing you like the best and have it be your vocation. It's pretty special. And what is it they say? You love what you do, you'll never work another day in your life? Yeah, and I, you know, they tell me I'm working, but I never have figured it out yet. I never have thought about it before. <laughs> that is absolutely awesome that you're able to take a game and make a living out of it and enjoy yeah. your career for so long. Now, there was one story I read in the Triangle Golf article about Araparsegian, the head coach <laughs> at Notre Dame football. Can you elaborate on that story for us, please? Well, I was a, I was a coach here, but I was also a golf professional at a club in Wendell. I was doing them both. In other words, when I, my first 10 years, I did both jobs. And I was in my, in my club, which is a little small. Uh, the definition of a – it wasn't a country club. It was a club in the country. <laughs> and the phone rings, and I pick it up and, and go through the, the formal greeting. He said, this is Eric Parsegian from Notre Dame. And I said, as soon as I heard that, I said, well, this is George Washington. I'm going to help you. <laughs> <laughs> well, as soon as we got through the laughter – I did find out he was interested in having a friend's son 
come to this area and play golf. So that was what it was all about. So I had a nice conversation. We got to talk to him three or four more times. That's an amazing story. Two coaching legends being able to talk to each other. Well, that's pretty good being mentioned in the Air Force season <laughs> in the same terms it, now. It, it's two different sports. I could have used you as a publicist a long time ago. <laughs> When when you look at this area, I've asked you about the school, and you've you've talked a little bit about the area as it relates to golf. But what is it about Raleigh, North Carolina, specifically, that just makes it such a desirable area for the sport? Well, I'll tell you. Back in I say nineteen ninety, it might be ninety nine, could be ninety one. I actually went to another school to look at coaching there, and I was I think I was more in th- in well, I was kind of jacked up because I was being recruited, if you understand what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Never really wanted to go anywhere else, but I went and looked. And after I was there for a little while, I'm not going to mention the school. I looked at the town, I said, why in the world would I want to live here? I live in the best place in the world. So I guess that's something that it's a great place to live. Indeed it is, and I'm from just north in Wake Forest and absolutely in love with my hometown as well. Now, the final story I'll ask you about was the tournament at Bulls Bay and actually having to hop on the bull after <laughs> yeah. winning that tournament. I just got off of Bulls Bay last night. Really? Yeah. We just <laughs> finished the tournament there last night. We finished uh, tied for third. And one of our guys finished fourth. It was a nice tournament. It's always a nice place to go to. But they have a big old bull there named Titleist. And it's a monster. <laughs> and the winning coach and the winning player get on that bull. Well, when I was growing up, I was a kid, I was I went outside and ate trash. I was about five years old, and a cow was loose, and I turned around and was hanging right on my shoulder. Well, I've been scared of cows all my life. Now i got to get on this bull. <laughs> <laughs> so I just hopped up there real fast. I said, i better get this over with. And after I got up, I kind of looked that sick with power. I felt pretty good up there. When you look down the schedule, you just finished the Hootie at Bulls Bay. You've got the Gary Cook Invitational coming up at Kentucky and then the Wolfpack Spring Open, followed by the ACC Championships, and all that goes along with that. Yeah. But has it settled in on you that your career as a coach is ending, and are you starting to get sentimental, or is this, I want to finish this strong, well, and I want to go out there and win tournaments? I've been kind of enjoying I've been I've been spending more time looking around at the places I've been to, because maybe I didn't notice anything when I was there year after year after year. So I've been a little nostalgic doing that, but, you know, really, I just figure I'm going to a different phase of my life, and I just get to follow the golf team and the fan and NC State as a fan. It's pretty good. It absolutely is, Coach. Congratulations on what has been a spectacular coaching career and an excellent, excellent tenure at NC State University. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so very much for your time. And Coach Sykes has a great squad out there. He's going to retire after the season. I mean, NC State golf has been one of the premier institutions in golf for, I mean, it seems almost the past half century with Sykes being there 46 years. But um, you think having Sykes leave after this year, you think he's left the program in a good place, Ethan? Well, I mean, definitely anywhere, anytime you're at a place for 46 years, you know, you're, you're doing something right. That's just how it is. And if you're there for that long, then you're certainly going to leave it in good hands. Otherwise, you wouldn't have been there for that long. And so 46 years, I mean, how many coaches are at the same place for 46 years? Yeah, I mean, you're right. You, you never really see that. You see that in, you know, a, a couple of sports. But those, of course, you know, the all-time greats. You got Jim Beheim, you know, been there for so long at Syracuse, you know, in basketball. But Coach Mike Krzyzewski. Yeah, but and, even Coach K has only been there since, was you know, it, the, the late se- the, late, the late 70s, you know, early 80s. Oh, wow, it has been 40. Yeah, it's, it's been a while. But, yeah, Coach Sykes leaving that program in good hands, but you know, let's take a quick look at the men's golf team. They just they finished tied for third at the Hootie at Bulls Bay Invitational this past weekend in Mount Pleasant, North Carolina. They finished tied for third, and it's in front of top twenty-five squads such as number twenty-three Auburn, number nine Virginia, and number twenty-four Missouri. Actually, it was Auburn. They tied. They ended in the tie with for third, but. This team of NC State golf, they've got a lot of good young guys. And in my opinion, it starts with sophomore Stephen Franken. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely been a good year so far for the pack. As you mentioned, a young team. They only have one, two seniors, I should say. And then the rest are either sophomores or freshmen. And so you've got a huge class of sophomores. And, you know, moving forward, they're just going to grow and experience playing in the tournaments that they're playing in this year. 
and beating some of the teams like you mentioned. So when Sykes steps away, obviously, you know, they're going to have capable golfers who are going to be able to step in and continue the success of the program. Yeah, NC State finishing tied for third in that minus 10, 10 under par for the weekend. Stephen Franken finishing fourth at eight under. The freshman you mentioned uh, that they've got a lot of freshmen on the team, Benjamin Ship finishing at tied for 17th, one under for the weekend. Nolan Mills Jr. at plus one, tied for 30th and... Of course, Harrison Rhodes, the sophomore, tied for 49th at plus four. A lot of good young guys on this team. As always in our first segment, we're joined by a special guest, and today it's a very special guest making her first appearance on the show, and that is the NC State head women's golf coach, Paige March. Coach, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, you're very welcome. Coach, when you look at golf compared to other varsity sports, it's an individual and a team sport all at the same time. Can you explain to us that juxtaposition and how you go about coaching a sport that's like that? Sure. Um, well, it's a unique opportunity um, at the, the college level. Um, most young women um, have played golf as an individual for their careers. There are a few who have the experience to play club golf or for their countries. But that is, um, you know, rarer cases. So I know as a former um, collegiate golfer, I had the experience. So I know that it is a transition and I really approach it that way. It has great benefit, though. Um, Not only can you um, excel individually, um, while you excel individually, you help your team. So through the course of the year, you're playing. You can win tournaments individually. You can win tournaments as a team. You can advance individually or you can advance with your team. And I'm, I can remember I did, did it both ways when I was in school. It's far more fun when you we go with your teammates, but literally no one holds you back but yourself. Um, so it is a, a great sport in the sense that it is literally your 14 clubs or less if you choose to carry less in your mindset and you control your mind. And so you have great control um, is through the sport, through college. And should you not individually have a particularly great season, but your team is enjoying one, you get to advance that way. So I think it's just such a win-win situation. Well, and you touched on the biggest part of golf for us, for who are just normal, casual golfers, the mental aspect. How are you as a coach able to keep your players' mindset right or be able to coach them to stay cool, calm, and collected throughout every individual round? Well, I think it's something that we, we work hard, and I'm very intentional um, as soon as they arrive on campus and even before that they are paying attention to that aspect of the game. At this level, as we, you know, climb and play with the elite, it is the difference in, one, how you manage your time, and often that is impacted by your mindset. So the more you can learn about yourself, which is we take advantage of those types of resources here on campus, um, sports psychology, um, we bring in those resources. Um, So we learn about who we are, and then how we can best manage our best self. I mean, we all have, I would say, our strengths or our weaknesses, and we just really have to learn how to to take advantage of who we are, how to temper those things which are going to uh, probably hold us back, and learn to be resilient. It's really about um, how well we fail all the time. I mean, how you manage your mistakes. Um the hard part about elite players, many are often perfectionist. And once you can get a handle on, you know, perhaps being a perfectionist is a bit of a fixed mindset and perhaps that might be holding you back if you're spending a lot of time trying to make everything perfect and making sure that everybody knows you're right when, in fact, you could free up that time and accept that you're probably going to have some missteps. We do make mistakes from your mortals, and if you free yourself and learn to take what you do, um, do wrong, your failures, you fail forward. I know Coach Al used to say that all the time, you fail forward in life, 
and you you're accepting of you know we're going to make mistakes it's really who makes the most of their mistakes how far can you grow from them how can you take and use them to advantage because they're very revealing as to where you are right now and the most resilient the most adaptive the most creative you know take all that but it's it shows someone who's really comfortable in their own skin. And are you really confident? You know, can you take something and know it doesn't define you? That what defines you is what you choose to do with it. So all those things in this time period in their lives, when they're young adults and growing, that's really what we try to focus on as coaches here. Um, yes, there's the physical, but it's really about learning to accept who we are our vulnerabilities, our frailties, and learning how to make the most, so to empower them to be their very best, having, you know, a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I know that's kind of a buzzword right now, but it's all about growth over time. And philosophically, that's one of the things I really, really stress in my program is about growth over time. Um, It's not about where we are today. Score doesn't define you unless you choose to let it. And it's all choice of mine. Now, for you as an individual, what spurred you to pursue a career in the game of golf, even since before your college playing days? What was it that got you into the sport? Um, well, I was fortunate that my parents introduced me. Um, I grew up in a golfing family. Um, my father empowered all of us to be able to play and I had an older sister and a younger, and we all played the same college coach. And my mom was very involved in volunteering and helping in junior golf in the Carolinas. And then she went on to to serve on the USGA Women's Committee and help amateur golf, and both in this country and internationally. So I, I was I grew up in a family that loved the game and loved to serve the game, and we had great respect for the game. And I loved golf, but I loved golf as a competitive player. Um, I mean, I've told the story a lot. I mean, people can look at your resume and they forget where you started. And my very first event as a junior golfer, I had 133 on nine holes. I really showed no, <laughs> no gifts whatsoever. But um, the good friend who later became a good friend was a year younger and shooting about half of my score. And I'm, I was just to myself, I'm sure I didn't say that's unacceptable, but that's how I felt as a seven-year-old. I'm like, I've got to do something about this. <laughs> you know, so I was really spurred to see, you know, every year how much I could to could grow, what I could do better. And I loved it. I loved the challenge of it. And I love the game. I'm very passionate about the game. And I feel very blessed that I have something that um, I enjoy every day. I get up and I think about you know, how lucky I am and that my parents introduced me to this great game and I've had the chance to share it with others. And with the short time we have left, we would like to talk to you a little bit about your individual players. India Clyburn and Naomi Co. have a top finish of first or tied for first so far this season. Very talented golfers so far. And also a couple of high finishes in the top five recently at the Lady Puerto Rico Classic and fourth out of 15 at the LSU Tiger Classic. When you look at how well your team is performing this year, what do you attribute that to? Well, I think I attribute it to some of the things I just mentioned. They love the game, and they are driven um, out of great love for it and respect, and they're aligned with what they want, and they're willing to do the things that it takes to make them better. Um, You can say you want something, but are you really willing to make the choice and the sacrifice to make it happen? And I see in them the ability to, you know, take what they're doing well and go with it, and then also look very bluntly at the things that they haven't done well and learn how to adapt. And with players like that, they will continue to grow. Um, They're not defined by where they are at the moment, and they also choose to continue to work and get better. They're not satisfied. Um, so it's been fun to watch them rewrite some of the history. I'm watching them creep up in the career. Um, I think India sits on top of it, the career scoring history, and 
Naomi is um, maybe third, I believe, in career scoring history here. So it's it is great to see history in action with um, a relatively young program. Um, it's fun, fun for me as a coach to watch them love what they do. Coach March, thank you so very much for your time. Best of luck in the west of the rest of the way through the season. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Absolutely. Go Pack. Absolutely. That's Paige Marsh, the head coach of NC State Women's Golf. I really think this is one of the squads that is really looking up in terms of the non-revenue programs for NC State. Debbie Yao has done a great job in the hires for those those non-revenue programs. But uh, let's dive into another non-revenue. We're talking about the softball team coming off of, after stealing a win in Chapel Hill against the uh, number 25 Tar Heels they kind of faltered yesterday against the Liberty Flames. They, 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 Peyton Silverman in the third inning, I believe it was, allowed four runs to the Flames, but NC State was not be able to climb back into that one, losing 5-3. to three. We, We've covered softball many times, Ethan, and while this team's in the right place, you know, kind of like a midseason point, what are your thoughts on the, the women's softball team? It's definitely been an interesting year so far. You look at the non-conference record and the conference record and it's not something that you would typically see at six and three in the ACC and already over 20 losses in non-conference play and there's certain certainly the non-conference schedule was was difficult but it's just it's weird to see a team struggle so much in the non-conference and then come out and they've won they won their first two ACC series at home and then went on the road to Chapel Hill as you mentioned and uh, avoided the sweep on Sunday and they're six and three in the ACC so it's it's been a weird start, and, you know, it's such a young team, only three seniors, I want to say. Yep, you got Tyler Ross, Molly Hutchison, uh, not a lot of people on that team, really. I mean, th- remember, there was a couple of members of the team that up and transferred and just really up and quit softball altogether, but I think sh- Coach Rychick is the guy. Yeah, he definitely is. This recruiting class, you know, that came that has just come in, Jade Carraway, Peyton Silverman are obviously the two um, names that come to mind. They've just been phenomenal this year, and they're just starting their careers here. So Coach Rychuk is going to look for that class to build something for this team moving forward. And we know that he can be a successful coach here because of what he did in, what was it, 2013? In 2015, he led this team to a super regional. Yeah. And people tend to forget that, but, you know, you mentioned the non-conference, and I think that's really where it begins. I think... You know what, Elliot Avent. We'll we'll get into baseball later, but Elliot Avent believes that you know he he kind of you know messed up the non-conference schedule a little bit. Didn't really give his team a lot of rest early on in the season. But let's dive into the schedule for the softball team at, uh, so far. You know, second game of the season, they lose to they lose a, a heartbreaker 2-0 to fl- number 23 for Florida Atlantic, and you know by only two runs to a ranked squad. That's impressive, nonetheless. But you look up and down and. You know, losing twice to Michigan on mercy rule in five innings, being mercy ruled by number 13 Minnesota, and then losing to them again, respectively. Playing UCLA number at the time, number six or four in the nation, only losing them them by five runs. Losing to Oklahoma wasn't was kind of a heartbreaker as well. I mean, only losing to them by two runs. But I think what we see a recurring thing in this schedule is that. They just, when they're down, they kind of stay down. This isn't a team that usually performs well against the pressure, but you mentioned their ACC record. I mean, they 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 nearly swept Syracuse, winning two of three there, defeating Virginia, sweeping them. Yeah, we covered that. That was a dominant It was a dominant series, you know, in that weekend, winning 10-3, to having a close one at 8-6, to but then mercy ruling the Cavaliers 9-1 to in five innings, and then stealing a win against the Tar Heels. So this is definitely a team that has the firepower, that has the talent to get over the edge. I just think they're a little young. Well, they are a little young, obviously, as we mentioned. You know, the two freshmen, and then you've got sophomores, Brittany Nemo, Haley Finn is another freshman that comes to mind. Uh, but other sophomores, you know, the the lineup is just littered with sophomores and freshmen. And, you know, you go back, looking at the Michigan-Minnesota series and the ACC Big Ten Challenge that was took place from February 17th to the 19th. And N- NC State lost that series by a collective total of 41-1. to one. And Mercy ruled three of those games, didn't score a run, and then lost 7-1. to one. 
on Sunday. And then you mentioned some of the other ranked teams they've played, UCLA, Oklahoma, Oregon State, uh, Florida Atlantic. The schedule has just been so tough that it's really you're not really sure what the 12 and 20 record means because you figure that they can beat teams that they're better than, but they've just played so many teams that are better and have more experience. And they have players who have been there, done that, that, that they're paying for that early in the season. You know, I want to say by maybe Caraway's junior season that this team could be in the top 25. I definitely think she's going to be the leader for the Wolfpack moving forward. Heck, she's batting second behind the power hitter Tyler Ross. And you feel for Ross because she's a senior and one of the better players on this Wolfpack roster and in recent memory. But, you know, I spoke to Coach Reichick after the, the loss yesterday. I covered it for Technician. He really said they just could have had better at-bats in those first four innings. And, I mean, and he's totally right because, I mean, this was a scoreless contest till the third inning, and NC State didn't get on the board till the fifth. And, you know, they lose 5-3, to three, only got five runs. They allowed, excuse me, only had five hits, three runs, but allowed 11 hits to the Flames, and but only surrendered five runs. So the fielding play was great. They had a couple of double plays, one from Balser, um, excuse me, one from Alyssa Compton, and one from Peyton Silverman. But this team has what it takes to compete with the good teams in the, in the uh, ACC. Remember, you've got Florida State sitting currently number one in the country. And then, and then uh, excuse me, UNC Chapel Hill as well, you know, coming number 25, number 28. But it's a team that, in my opinion, has what it takes they're just young. I mean, it's you need you want the team that shows up against the ACC teams, and, and they're doing, the and they've teams. done that. They really have. Well, you want that team that shows up against those teams to show up against every other team, and I think that's what you know. That's a characteristic of a young team, and uh, obviously they'll help to grow that. And if they can have a few more recruiting classes, like ones with Jade Carraway, Peyton Silverman, Haley Finn, Brittany Nimmo, girls like that, you're really going to start to build the program, and that's when you can become a top twenty-five team. And you say that they have performed well in ACC games, and they have with the wins against Syracuse, sealing one against the Tar Heels, and the sweep of the Cavaliers. But they have struggled in those midweek contests, especially last night. Speaking of a team that has struggled in midweek contests, we bring the NC State baseball team. Oh, I know, Ethan, it's just it's pulling at your heartstrings to just even think about the baseball team this, this really early in the season. I wouldn't even... I guess you could say halfway, but this well, is a team that has performed well in their ACC contest, stealing a win over number one at the time, Louisville, the Louisville Cardinals, now number two in the nation, a win that was against the number one draft pick in the country. We'll go ahead and get that out there. Brendan McKay yep. currently batting plus Something 350, stupid. 400, and, you know, well, the, the guy, what is he? I think he has like a .99 ERA, you know, something like that. But well, I mean, it's higher than that now. But actually, an interesting fact about McKay before we get into the baseball team, heading into the game, heading into the series against NC State, where he pitched on Friday night, and then obviously played in the rest of the games, his batting average was higher than his ERA, which sounds impossible, but it was in, it is true. His batting <laughs> average was something like four thirty. It was, it, was, his, it came in 430, and his ERA was like point, point three. I yeah, believe. so basically he was getting a hit more often than he was giving up a run, <laughs> which is absolutely absurd. It, it is crazy, but um, yeah, we'll dive into talking about the, the baseball team now, and this team, of course, came into the country, came into the, excuse me, in the preseason, number six in the country, currently sits 14-12 and 12 overall in the season, 4-5 and five in the ACC, and this is a team right now that would not make the ACC tournament, Ethan, at least, I, I don't think so. I, I, I think well, before, the top, the Louisville, before the Louisville game, I do not think they were going to make it. But we'll, we'll get into that. But They'll we, make it. They'll make I, it. I, I, th- I, I agree. I do think they will. But talking about what we saw this past week, and this is NC State dropping two of three with the first. They're stealing a win on Friday night, 3-1 to one in a great game. Watched every bit of that. One of my favorite games uh, in recent memory from NC State baseball. Losing a tough one, six to seven in extra innings on Saturday, and then just really almost falling apart on Sunday, eight to one the loss to Louisville. But first, let's really dissect that Friday matchup. Sean Adler, in my opinion, was the MVP. The guy pitched his heart out. Certainly, he was. I mean, he came in and dominated. 
you know, Brendan McKay, as you mentioned, who's going to most likely be the number one pick as either a pitcher or a hitter, which is insane. But, um, I mean, you don't want to say Sean Adler outpitched Brendan McKay, but he came pretty close. You know, he was certainly toe for toe. He didn't go as far into the game, but he shut down the Louisville bats. And, you know, like you said, I want to say him and Joe O'Donnell combined for 14 strikeouts, and O'Donnell came in and locked down the save, and Adler got the win. But if you can get that out of Sean Adler, Sean Adler's a good pitcher. Sometimes he struggles to find the strike zone. Friday night he did not struggle to find the strike zone, and you saw how well he pitched. And so if he can do that every Friday night, NC State is all of a sudden going to become a much more dangerous team as the rest of the pitching staff fills out. And you're right about Adler. I mean, the guy has struggled, but picking up his third win on the season, and Joe O'Donnell met him after the game. That guy is lean as can be. He slimmed up during the offseason, put on some weight a little bit as well. That guy's a toothpick, and he can freaking throw the ball at you. I mean, well, he, Joe O'Donnell, in my opinion, is going to be good in the, in the in the next couple of years for the Wolfpack. Well, O'Donnell's really actually, he's actually a redshirt senior. But oh, jeez, I'm sorry. My apologies. Last but, but, year, th- but I'm just saying, he's really improved over the last couple of years. I think I think this is finally the year... Sorry, I'm think I'm thinking about I'm thinking about someone else. I, I'm trying to think, but O'Donnell, in my opinion, the what he the work he put in in the off season, really is really going to help him succeed in his senior season. And coming off of an injury as well, last year yeah. he was probably NC State's best pitcher. Mm-hmm. Up to a certain point, he went out with a shoulder injury, never came back. Uh, so now he's coming back this year, as you mentioned, and he he lost some speed off of his fastball, but he and he moved to the bullpen. But he's been NC State's best reliever to this point between him and Austin Staley. And having those two guys at the back of the bullpen who you can send out for two or three innings and that, like, if you've got a lead after six, seven innings, you can send those guys in, and that's pretty much game. But O'Donnell did that against Louisville, and, um, you know, we'll obviously see more of him moving forward. You wonder if he'll move into maybe a rotation spot with the other starters struggling. But um, definitely great things from Joe O'Donnell. He's got a filthy curveball and a fastball that doesn't – it's not too fast, but it it's moves a lot, and it's pretty tricky for the hitters to hit. O'Donnell and Adler definitely could have hung with McKay that night. McKay, in my well, opinion, has one of, the, one of the best breaking balls I think I've ever seen. Yeah, that – at least live. It's Carlos Rodon. It is, it's Carlos Rodon-esque, you could say. Yeah. But, you know, we mentioned the, the pitching for NC State. It was definitely a highlight in that performance. Not giving up a run to the Cardinals until the sixth inning, but still allowing seven hits. So credit to the field play out there. I remember it was Kinnaman who had an outfield assist from left field, and that yep. was just Threw a rocket out from point. out there. But you know, we talk about pitching. While it was a good performance from the bullpen in that Friday matchup. NC State has struggled mightily this season on the mound, and in my opinion, it starts with Brian Brown. You expected that guy to come in. But, Ethan, my question for you is, is NC State going to make the NCAA tournament at by the end of the season, and is the pitching going to pick up, and who is it going to come from? Yes and yes. Three questions right there, I guess. Not one. Yes, they will make the tournament. I don't really have a whole lot of doubt about that. They've obviously they've played the toughest team. On really, this. not a lot of not a lot of doubt. No, I I losing I, to Campbell. Remember, I have a lot, of and faith. they allowed ten runs to Charlotte I Tuesday. Have, I yes, they will make the tournament. I I don't know that they would make it right now if the season ended. Good news for them, they it it doesn't obviously, but. You've got good teams, Florida State, Clemson at home. You've already beaten Miami, who's a good team. And so you've got opportunities for good wins against Florida State and Clemson. And then you've Florida got Florida State. Good good for for a win of Florida State. I mean, you can win two out of three against Florida State. Florida State and Clemson uh. are both going to be tough games or tough series, I should say. But I mean NC State hung with Clemson. NC State was, in my opinion, the better team on Friday and Saturday on Sunday. Yeah. You know I'll it, agree with that. It wasn't it wasn't great, but you know, outplaying the number one team in the country two out of three games is pretty good even if you only win one of them but as for the pitching yes I think it will Brian Brown has had some arm issues in the last year or so and you obviously need him to step forward because he's the upperclassman he's the leader of the staff and um, you know he struggled against Louisville pitched well against Miami and had to come out because of the rain delay but I 
I just think that this team is going to find its groove. They've got a very winnable ACC series this weekend against Notre Dame. I mean, if NC State were to sweep Notre Dame this weekend, which is certainly a very realistic possibility, NC State would then be 7-5 and five in the ACC. And you've got your two toughest teams remaining at home. I, I mean, this team was picked sixth in the country for a reason. You've had a lot of guys struggle. Mendoza, Deathridge, Joe Denand has hit, yeah, has hit for really, power, but he hasn't hit for average. They, the, I, I really think you look at that junior class, and they've, while they, they got drafted last year and could have gone – I mean, I mean, they they could have gone. I mean, I mean, they could get drafted. They this could upcoming get drafted year. this upcoming year. It's kind of like I like to make a lot of football references. It's kind of like you know your contract year. You want to look good in your contract yeah, that's exactly, year. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is, and they're doing the exact opposite. In my opinion, their draft stock has regressed well, from the, last year. The phrase "junioritis" is a thing in college baseball, and it's when you're a junior and you're about to get drafted, you the pressure gets to you, and and you start thinking too much and that's exactly what's happening especially with Deathridge and Dena- uh, Deathridge and Mendoza Denand has never been a high average hitter and he's I think he's hit eight or nine home runs already this year but you figure if those guys can figure it out then and and Brett Kinman I mean you've got half of your lineup who you expected to be one of the best lineups in the country half of the lineup isn't is not is hitting 200 I want to say and Steven Patera another guy who's also a junior but he's not as high on draft boards, he's struggled as well. He's hitting under 200, but he's been put back in the lineup and gotten on base a lot the last five games. But I just think if these guys get going, this is a team that can get hot, and if Brian Brown picks it up, this is a team that can get hot at the right time and make a lot of noise. You know, just a quick thing. NC State was up 12, 13, 14 14 14 to nothing in the top of the fifth and allowed seven Seven runs in the bottom of the fifth. And, you know that could have just been a desperation from the 49ers because they also allowed six. The 49ers allowed six to the pack in the top of the fifth. But is NC? You know, you, you mention all those guys and how they've had junioritis, and you think they'll pull together. But just one quick last question. You know, pick pick two or three guys for me that you think will step up or have to step up for the pack to make a push for that NCAA tournament. Well, have to step up is Brock Deathridge, who, in my opinion, could be one of the best players in the ACC with his combination of power, and he's probably one of the fastest guys in the ACC as well. If he can get going... McLean is fast. I'll tell you what, that guy's looking well, good. Well, McLean... Right, McLean is one guy who has not been hurt by the junioritis. He's been phenomenal. But back to Deathridge, he... If he can get going, this lineup just takes on a whole nother dimension. You've got another guy who can hit a ball out of the park, and you've got another guy who who can go three for four and win you a game. I th- I think Evan Mendoza and Steven Patera will both get going. I think I've seen much better at-bats from them lately. They're hitting the ball hard, not necessarily finding holes, which there's not much you can do about that. But if they if I think they will get going at some point, and I, and I think Deathridge and Kinnaman as well. Will too, but if even if two, if just two of those four guys can step up, this lineup just becomes so much deeper and so much better. And it'll, I mean, if all four of them step up and get back to where we saw them last year, then this is a team that can go to Omaha. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, it's just a matter of if those four guys will step up and if the pitching will come together. NC State currently sitting 14 and 12 on the season, a solid team. Without a doubt, the team's definitely got the talent to be successful. They'll be back this, excuse me, they'll be having their next ACC series this weekend against Notre Dame in Indiana in South Bend. And now we'll talk to the latter part of our show. We've got one more lovely segment that I like to call is, ah, football. The lovely smell of spring. Some people love it for baseball, but I love it because... Football season is coming back to NC State. NC State spring game starting this weekend, Ethan. Most people are excited, but you know there are some guys that won't be out there, and that will more than likely be NC State's starting running back next season. Reggie Gillespie is not set to play this weekend. He's will be a junior, true junior for the Wolfpack. Um, what do you make of the spring game, your expectations, and what are you excited to see? 
Well, it's going to be interesting. They've got a a new format where it's going to be more situational. Yeah, I hate that. I hate that. I want a scrimmage, dude. That's all. Yeah. I'm trying to tailgate the game. Ethan. Yeah, I I don't. <laughs> I mean, Dave Dorn's going to do what he needs to do. It's not great for the fans, but uh, I mean, last year a bunch of guys were held out too. Jay Sam didn't play last year. I don't think he'll play again this year. But I'm not. My man. Jason. I'm not 100 percent sure about that one. But um, pretty much any player who might even be dinged up is not going to play. Anyone who has a scratch, I think. Yeah. Maybe like even a slight cough. I think that's what Dave Doran's making it turn out to be. Yeah. But the KO Spring game's going to be exciting. Um, you know, some players, I know I know there's going to be a lot of expectations for this season. You've got Bradley Chubb coming back. That really entire defensive line, Contavious Street, BJ Hill, the list goes on and on. But who are you excited for, really, in this spring game? You know, in my if I had to pick someone, it'd definitely be... That defensive line, man, I just love defense. But I mean, I yeah, mean, the, de- the defensive line, the defensive line. I know they don't have all the recruiting stars that Clemson and Florida State have, but I, I will. The take, coaching has done well. You I know? will take this defensive line up against any defensive line in the country. Hot takes. And uh, as for who I'm excited to see, you know, it's going to be an opportunity for young guys to get out in, fr- in front of the crowd, in front of the real stadium, and see what they can do. You think of guys who redshirted last year. Uh, and then some of the true freshmen obviously will be able to play. Um, the secondary will be interesting. Josh Jones went on to the NFL. Jack Tocho graduated. Definitely a big thing you want to watch out there. Who's going to step up yeah. there? Sean Boone will be the anchor right. back there in that secondary. But you've got to wonder who's going to step up there. Well, yeah, at the end of the season, Nick McLeod was getting a McLeod lot of did get an interception, I believe, in that. Was it McLeod in that Vanderbilt game? I think that was Trey Meadows. It was Trey Meadows. That was either correct. way. Both of those guys are going to be key players in the secondary. They're sophomores this upcoming fall, uh, so you'll want to take note of what they've got to what they're doing. Um, you know, on offense, I think it's just going to be a lot of the same stuff. You know, Gillespie's not going to play, so you don't want to read too much into the running back. I'm sure Ryan Finley and Jalen McLennan will both. Uh, get some snaps. The offensive line is mostly returning. Wide receivers are all returning. Uh, so offense is going to be pretty much what we saw last year, which is good. I mean, I think if you can carry the same stuff from last year to this year and be successful again, that'll be good. But yeah, for me, it's the defensive secondary. Uh, another kicker, a grad kicker was signed, was kicker. signed today. Um, <laughs> he's going to have two years left. Came from Carson Newman. His name is Carson Wise, he's a grad kicker, was originally at Virginia Tech. I don't think we'll see him on Saturday, but for those of you who are looking for kicking news, there it is. So you got to assume that he will be the starter in the fall. Um, but, yeah, just so many returning guys. You're not going to see a whole lot of new stuff. Um, we'll just see what some of the young guys can have. You know, some people for me definitely to watch, in my opinion, you've got to watch the wide receivers and the defensive line. Wide receivers, because I think there are some budding stars in that group, and it starts with Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin that Harman guy is phenomenal. was a true freshman last year, will not redshirt this season, will be a sophomore. From New Jersey, that guy, in the limited, he didn't really see a lot of opportunities as a freshman, but in what you saw from him, Ethan, in my opinion, it was just spectacular. I'm so excited this season for the wide receiving core because you've got Kelvin Harmon, you've got Steven Steph Lewis, Steph Lewis and you got you got Jamichael Ramos back. The guy redshirted last year. Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines, remember him? I don't I'm I want, I don't know if Naheem Hines is actually going to be in the uh, in the spring game. He yeah, might I'm not be. Sure either. You know, I I don't think him Samuels or Glass people will be, will be in there, but wide receiving core definitely pay attention to him. I, in my opinion, I think Kelvin Harmon is one of the more raw prospects on this NC State roster, but I think the potential is there. In my opinion, when he when he decides to go to the draft, because I think he will get drafted. I think, I think he's, he's a, a top player. I think he's a three year player. Yeah, I, I'll agree with that, and I, I think I think this year is really where he. Could establish himself as as a he's, th- he's a he's a D three he's a jump ball kind of guy but he's only six three I mean the receive the, the receiving core has a lot of depth but that guy just stands out he can do it all he can run a and slant b- he can go deep he can run a screen and yeah I mean and he he's kind of a do it all kind of guy and you look at the receiving core Braylon Cherry left he was a senior he'll he- be headed to the NFL draft not sure where he'll be pr- picked probably in the latter rounds you yeah, got I him I don't know if he will get drafted yeah I'm not I'm not sure about that but Steph Lewis. 
Jamichael Ramos. It's a big and athletic kind of crew because you've got the speedsters with Naheem Himes, which will also be in the backfield as well. Of course, we remember the GOAT, Jalen Samuels. You never know who he's going to be. He could be behind center this year, in my opinion. You never know. I don't know. I think he I might rather get snaps. I, I think I'd rather have him up there than Ryan Finley, but that's another that's another story. And the reason I'm saying defensive line is because you've got a good mixture of youth and veterans back there. Of course, you've got Bradley Chubb, who, in my opinion, this year could have been a second to third round pick. After yep. this year, this dude's going in the first round. He can go he in is. the top half of the first round. He could the def- guy put on tw- you know twenty twenty pounds. Uh, last offseason, I, I did a feature on him for Technician, and he's a great guy. He's one of the hardest working players on that defensive line, and the sky's the limit for that kid. I mean, he he had a great year last year. Was ACC Defensive Player of the Week a couple of times, and you know he had he had three sacks. Remember against that Notre Dame game? While that was a definitely a <laughs> one of the most memorable games in Carter Finley Stadium's history. The 50-year anniversary, it was a defensive-minded game, and I love that. But And, of course, B.J. Hill, Contavious Street, those guys are going to be – Darian Roseboro. Darian Roseboro, you love talking about him, a highly touted recruit coming out he's, of high school. He's a guy that could also go to the NFL after this year. You're right. And and another guy that was a highly touted recruit last year was Ben, or more likely Suge Frazier. He redshirted last year, redshirt freshman, 6'3", coming at 316 pounds. And, yes, he is heavier than B.J. Hill. B.J. Hill's a big dude. B.J. Hill's a big dude. Pound heavier than you, but you'll uh, see Shug Frazier on the field this year as a redshirt freshman. Um, yeah, I think he could get significant playing time, and in my opinion, will be the guy the the guy to look at when Hill Street next and year. Chubb leave. I'm mean, Street Chubb Hill Justin Jones, and I would likely say Darian Roseboro all gone after this year. That's a lot of uh, production to replace on the defensive line. But hey, it could be a memorable year this year. Could be a memorable year, you know. Fox Sports currently has NC State sitting 24-25, and they're way too early polls, but this season's going to be an exciting one, Ethan. You know, we've had a great show, Ethan. We talked about men's golf, softball, baseball, and, of course, that awesome spring game. A great show, Ethan. Thank, thanks for being here with me and the, and the relief of Drew Blevins, but any final thoughts on this episode? Uh, just appreciate you having me on, and... Um... We'll see what we see on the spring game. Uh, the spring game, excuse me. <laughs> we'll see what they, how much uh, Dave Dorn actually shows headed into the fall, and uh, we'll see what the baseball team can do if some of those guys can get going and if the team can get on a roll. Both great matchups coming into this weekend. The KU spring game at Carter Finley Stadium will begin at 1 p.m. And, of course, NC State Baseball is headed up to South Bend to compete against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Thank you so much for listening. It was a great show, and we're, we were more than happy to bring it to you at Nick Sinopoli alongside Ethan Barry. Thank you very much for listening to the Howler. And one more quick shout-out to our friends over at White Street Brewing. Thank you very much for allowing us to bring this episode of the Howler to you. We'll catch you next week with another great episode. Thanks for listening to The Howler, a service of PAC-TV. Find out more at go.ncsu.edu slash sports. The Howler is brought to you by White Street Brewing Company, handcrafted beer made in the heart of downtown Wake Forest. Visit us just up US 1 at 218 South White Street or at whitestreetbrewing.com.